This is the Gallinach Masters Cycling Podcast. I'm Norman Blissett, your host for the show. Gallinach Masters Cycling is a global community of 50 years and older cyclists who support each other to love life through riding our bikes. Each week we share inspiring stories from our riders around the world, showcase great places to ride our bikes and give tips to help you get fitter, healthier and more confident on the bike. Welcome everyone to this latest episode of the Gallinac Masters Cycling Podcast. I'm Norman Blissett. Uh, we don't have Coach Foggy, Chris Foggin, with us this evening. He is somewhere in New Zealand working um, and unfortunately isn't able to join us. But I am absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest on this episode, uh, Richard Thode, who has done something absolutely amazing, which we shall hear about um, in, in depth. We're going to get uh, Richard to take us through his experience. Richard is now the record holder for riding a penny farthing from Land's End to John O'Groats, a total of 874 miles, which you did, Richard, in four four and a half days, <laughs> which in my, my calculations is just a shade under 200 miles per day, um, which is which is pretty amazing. So, so we're going to hear all about that from you, uh, Richard. So thanks very much for joining us, first of all. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No problem, no problem, no problem. So tell us, tell us first, before we get into that incredible achievement, what, what got you into riding a penny farthing? Um, it, that, now, that's quite an easy one to answer. Um, it was just a, a, a chance encounter with an event that happens not far away from me every 10 years. Uh, it's a big penny farthing race uh, in a town called Nutsford in Cheshire. Uh, and uh, it's an international event. They have riders come from all over the world for this thing. And I'd heard mention of it this is this is pre uh, sort of pre um facebook social media era so i just I just chanced across it on a a forum late one night and uh, i thought well, that sounds that sounds excellent I'll, I'll enter that so i immediately grabbed an entry form because i heard it sound out really fast and then sat back and thought actually i've never ridden one before <laughs> i don't don't have a penny for i don't know how to ride one but it just seemed a great thing to try you know just as a, as a one-off experience um so I went. I borrowed a penny farthing and uh, just about learned how to get them on and off and ride it in a straight line. And went to this event, and it was just a fantastic day out. Uh, so from what I thought was going to be a one-off event, um, came home and thought I want some more of that. It was just such good fun, so exciting to race these things. Um, and uh, so I, I set about making it myself to kind of do a bit more riding. So how how long did it take you to get confident on it? Because it it, there's, there's, I guess it's a bit of a um, jump to to actually starting to ride one to get quite confident in terms of cycling around the roads and and doing the things. Yeah, that there, is, there is. There is. I mean, they're they're all machines. They're, they're beautiful to ride. Um, uh, the, the basics of getting on and off are critical to to be able to ride. And once you can get off, okay, you're all right. Um, but to ride safely on the roads took me quite a while to get really confident with. Um, they're a bit uncompromising and uh, they do bite you quite badly if, if things go wrong. Um, and the odd thing about them is they're all a bit different. They have different uh, steps, the arms, different arrangements, different wheel sizes, different positions. Um, and I've ridden several, I've had several, um, and they're all a bit different. So you get used to one. You put it in the garage and get another one out, and you've got to kind of recalibrate your brain in terms of how to get off the thing. So, um, 
I used to run just during the, the kind of summer season, that important way of the winter, and every spring will be a kind of whole learning game again at the start of the spring. And the first ride would be a bit, a bit scary. So I got off the position where I was just riding it all the time, so it became perfectly normal. Um, just riding in traffic conditions, and uh, I was quite happy yeah. with it. Yeah, you never forget, but it's sometimes I, I did that the other, the other week because I went to the, um, the track at Lee Valley Velodrome and it's my first time mm-hmm. on the indoor track for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at least at least a year, probably more than that. And uh, yeah, the first few laps of, the, of that going around the the uh, steep bends were quite nerve wracking. But yeah, a few minutes and you're back into it again, isn't it? It's amazing where the, the body just kind of forgets and then quickly relearns. <laughs> It does, but there are all little things on, like um, you get used to STI gear shifters on the bike, and then you ride a fixed gear bike, and you're trying to push the push the brake lever across to change yeah. gear. Just, just that split second of trying to do something that doesn't work because it's the wrong bike and the wrong setup. But uh, yeah, brains are amazing how quickly they kind of recalibrate and, and then Yeah, yeah. I suppose penny farthings are a bit like track bikes, and the, the uh, yeah, you, I always before I get on a track bike, I say. Keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. <laughs> it's the worst thing you can do is stop pedaling, isn't it? Oh, you yeah. the track races, commentary, shouts at people when they're finishing a race. Keep pedaling, and not this is not quite. Yeah, they're, they're very similar to track bikes, and um, there's a lot of fixed gear riding and track racing um, earlier in my kind of uh, okay. cycling history. So it was kind of a, a natural development for me, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, F- uh, fantastic. So, yeah, you got you obviously got into to riding a penny farthing. So you saw the challenge of of riding from Land's End to John O'Groats. So what how, what what how did that come about, that that idea that you're gonna do it? The, the challenge lodged in my brain years before I'd ever ridden a penny farthing. It was quite a strange one. Um I my kind of development of cycling was really to get fit in my mid late thirties. Um I, I wasn't competitive at all. Uh, I was very fit, I smoked. Um I acquired a bike by chance and uh, started time trialing. Loved it. Uh, and I kind of moved gradually towards long distance time trialing, uh, 24 hour stuff. And a, a good friend of mine wanted to have a go at, um, and he was, he was into endurance cycling, still is. Um, and he wanted to try end to end the modern record. So I, I agreed to organize a support group for him. And in the Road Record Association manual for this event with all the instructions, it just happened to mention this record that's near set on a penny farthing, five days, one hour, 45 minutes. And I saw this, this little postscript, and it said rec- records are no longer accepted for this, this you know, on a penny farthing. And it just stuck in the back of my brain. It's like a little ticking time bomb. I just read it and thought, that is incredible, if we actually did that. And that was it, turned the page over, forgot about it. But it was kind of imprinted somewhere in my head. And um, every once in a while, I thought about it. And uh, once I started riding penny farthings, I started thinking, well, did he really do that? Is it possible? Was it possible in that era in the Victorian era with the roads and the state they were and uh, all things that are available or not available that they're used to as modern cyclists? Could it, and I kind of started to you know, read up about it. And, whereas he had done this amazing thing. Uh, and then started to wonder, you know, how, how difficult is that? How difficult would it be now, given everything that we have as modern cyclists, all the additional things that we have? Well, there were some things that, we don't, that I couldn't do that he did to. Um, so there are kind of pluses and minuses to it, but it's just just curiosity, really. I went through a whole progression over 10 years of riding, learning to ride penny farthings, and then learning to race them in short bunch races. I started time trialing on them. I started touring on them. I just kind of, for, for personal satisfaction, be the best rider I could. And so there's this ticking time bomb, you know. <laughs> could I achieve that? 
or, or if I tried it, you know, how would I stuck up against this guy who was a, a Victorian hero you know, in, in terms of cycling, who nobody's ever heard of uh, in this modern era? Um, so, yeah, in the end, I decided that uh, I had to have a go just to find out. Otherwise, I'd have, you know, later in life, you get to 60, 70, like, oh, what? Only one way to find out. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to just to get that context, that the previous mm. record was I can't remember his name now. You remind, remind me of his name. He was uh, George Pink, George Pilkington Mills, and he was age. He, when he when he attempted the record in eighteen eighty six, he was nineteen years old. Nineteen years so old. He, yeah. he lived in this fantastic um, kind of cusp of, of the development of cycling era. When so he'd have he'd have. Um, seen the end of um the kind of uh dandy horse you know very crude thing with with almost um cart like wooden wheels and some basic pedals on a plank pretty much he'd have seen penny farthings appear and started to ride them as a young rider and then in his later life uh, he was watching his later cycling life I mean, he's still fairly young looking at developing pneumatic tires and gears and safety bikes and even motorbikes actually held a motorbike record and um, to john O'Groats in his latest cycling career. Oh, I didn't realise that. That's so, what, what an amazing, what an amazing yeah. period to be a, you know, top-end cyclist. Yeah. And a massive surge of change and all sorts of ideas have been tried out. And, you know, it must have been quite extraordinary. And uh, it was also um, a nice period of change for the Rose when he started cycling. Rose were in really bad disrepair um, out in the countryside. Um, a lot of traffic had gone to rail. Um, so turnpikes were in disuse. So it was kind of just local remote country traffic on the road. So they were they were pretty appalling. And there were fairly about cyclists kind of pushed for the roads to be developed. So he'd have watched this kind of lovely development of, of the road system in terms of services and signage and um yeah, it must have been very exciting. It must have been like true like true pioneers and <laughs> And in, a, in a way that we we couldn't imagine now, I suppose. We you know our, our challenges are quite different, but that yeah, that it's like yeah, yeah. The ability I mean, of the, the world to open up, or, the, or even just you, not even the world, just your your little part of the world just opens up. Yeah. People didn't yeah. travel that far. No, uh, majority of people. So these guys who who um, were adopting these bikes, you know, jumping on penny farthings, they were some of them travelling super long distances, um, and they were almost like sort of mythological characters. They were they were you know their store their stories of daring do was, was fantastic. Um, and now, you know, a lot of people, if they don't really understand the penny problem, they look at it and think of it as a sort of, uh, like a, a circus bike almost, like yeah, a yeah. curiosity and entertainment. Yeah. But at the time, to put it into context, they were the fastest thing on the roads. Uh, apart from, you know, a bolting horse, you know, there was nothing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a bunch of guys rock, rocking up into town on those, it was... Uh, <laughs> something to be quite a, quite a spectacle yeah and and we've mentioned this before in in a, in a previous podcast episode and we mentioned you actually in it as well because i just i just watched the gcn plus documentary with mark beaumont and, and mm. a couple of other writers and um, how they went about breaking the the hour record the outdoor mm. hour record and, and yeah. a similar mm. similar thing to yourself i suppose it was a record that was that stood since the late 1800s but mm. I, you know when, when i watched that it was the some of the photos and and footage that they showed as part of that of the i mean they, these these were the the um Geraint thomases and the um uh you know of, of uh, you know, the, the pro cyclists the famous pro cyclists of the day weren't they they, they yeah they very much were, yeah. yeah. And um, 
they, I mean, the, as I say, the penny farthing was the fastest machine available. So that's what mm. they were driving. As you say, they were the ultimate sportsman of the day. Um, so, yeah, I was involved with Mark um, a couple of years before. We, we tried that record um, a while before. Uh, and I was involved in the team helping to work on that and ride with him to pace him. Um, and a lot of people start thinking, well, a Victorian record is going to be pretty easy to beat. You know, mm. it's not. But these were the top guys um, using the best equipment they had at the time, which was as good or better as the penny farthings that we've got now, you know, modern built penny farthings. They were no heavier. Um, you know, our bikes are the same in terms of solid tyres, no gear, no freewheel, on the track, no brakes. Um, aerodynamics are the same. There's no difference, really. So you are, with that hour record, you are pitting yourself directly against the riders in that era. And... Um, when we were pacing ourselves and we had to go up the air record down Hearn Hill the first time around, we had um, uh, an audible signal every lap. We had a whistle blow, which was what the rider 130 years ago, his pace. So it's almost like racing with a ghost of this rider on a track. When you heard the whistle blow, you knew he was crossing the, the start-finish line at that moment 130 years ago. Was he fast than you or was the whistle in front of you or was the whistle behind you? It was, it's quite a, quite a spooky sort of feeling, really. Um, you don't often get the chance to race against guys who hung and <laughs> who died you know in the in the uh, early 20th century very strange that's a really good way of describing it isn't it that you could i guess almost visualize them yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. In, in black and white of course because that's the way that we see them isn't it kind of these black and white yeah and i have the same sort of feelings right again to end because i haven't had as much as i could find about gp Morse making this ride from Lansing to john ago and I was kind of looking for things out on the road that he would have seen because part of my interest is what's different now and what's the same. And out on the road is not a lot. Uh, it would have, I mean, you've seen the, the, the big vistas, the overall landscape and the shape of the country, the, the lie of the land, the hills and what have you. And the route is pretty much the same. Um, there are differences. Um, and you see things like milestones, which he'd have seen, and some buildings you see with dates on, you know, that the pre that era that he'd have seen. Um, and I did, you know, there were one or two moments when I just had this kind of strange feeling that there was this kind of ghost of the GP Mills riding the same route, you know, alongside me. So it's a strange kind of thought process to go through, um, all the things that are different. Um, much wilder landscape that he'd have been through. Um, even, you know, up, even up in Scotland, things are fairly civilised from a road user's point of view. Um, but that must have been a wild, wild place to ride through, you know, particularly at night, middle of the night. Yeah. In North Scotland. Yeah, but I think we you know, going that yeah, the route the the route north through yeah, the northern part of Scotland, which is remote now. Um, yeah, must must have been absolutely wild. Um mm. at that yeah, at that that time. And even places like places like um, yeah, Bodmin, uh down in Cornwall, mm. you know, which uh, which now you're on the, the A30, which is a, a you know, motorway style dual carriageway with service stations. You know, anything and everything around you, you know, emergency services, anything goes wrong. In his day, that, that again, was a, was a very barren remote place. And if you, if you come and stop and something goes wrong, you've got to sort yourself out. <laughs> it's, uh, they, they really were great adventurers, even, even mm. you know, in our local areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. But I, lo I love, I love that that con that kind of notion that the the spirit of it is there with you, and actually you can you can quite visualise it as well in some of the experiences yeah. you have. Yeah. So, so I I haven't well, I don't really do ultra endurance, right? I, I love 
reading about it and, and watching the films, but I've not, yeah. <laughs> not, not done it. But I do what I do understand there is preparation is a significant percentage of the uh, the work that makes it a su- success. So presumably there's a lot of preparation went into this for you. A huge amount. What, if I'd known at the start how much preparation would be involved, I might have thought twice about taking it on, actually. Yeah, there was. Um, I, I, I like following endurance cycling. And I probably have a predisposition to it as opposed to sprint cycling, um, particularly as I get older. Um, but I've never really had the time to commit properly to, to real big, long stuff. Um, with family and work, uh, I mean, the longest racing item has been 24-hour times running, which isn't that probably for a lot of people sounds fairly endurancy, but uh, you can encompass it in a weekend, you know, and uh, it's surprising how well you can perform even with fairly limited training. But with something like this, which is on bigger scale again, um, to try and take on a record, I, I knew straight away that I needed to do some serious training. So at the commitment point, sat down with my wife and had a serious talk about it, said, you know, can I have a year to, to have a proper gut with no other commitments? So everything else went out the window, you know, um, family commitments, um, Christmas holidays, that all went, uh, you know, my wife was looking after the, the domestics of the house, you know, cooking, washing, shopping, all that. I was just totally absorbed in bikes for the year. Every conversation we had pretty much uh, in the house, or out of the house in the car, was totally focused on this one thing. Um, and I set off genuinely thinking, this is, this is going to be fairly easy, as in, you just go out and do a bunch of training, you know, and uh, get a bloke in a van with some food in the back of it and a mattress and just crack off. You know, do what you can do. And I started training and uh, started to look at all the all the different elements that that we can make a difference with. Um, it's a bit of the kind of Dave Brailsford marginal gains thing, if, if people understand that and, and remember his kind of process with that. It's kind of break it down into individual elements and um, yeah, how can I do that better? How can I do this a bit better? Who can I ask for advice on this? How can I improve that equipment? How can I make my training more efficient or a bit better? And the more I got into this, the more people got involved. And the more people become involved in it, the more kind of pressure you feel to perform. So, it, yeah, it kind of um, snowballed. And it does come, become quite onerous after a while. <laughs> but you feel, yeah, I've got, I've got to be successful with this thing. It's still exciting, but a lot, a lot of pressure. I wasn't expecting initially. I thought it would just be, you know, me and, and, a, and a small team having a bit of fun. So was that was that pressure? Was that do you felt a responsibility then to actually succeed with this, and that 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 kind of added yeah, to your yeah, stress yeah. Or, or the pressure that you felt about it? Because there's all these yeah, people well, now that were helping you, and you didn't want to let them down. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, initially it was just it was just a curiosity about how good can I be, and how can I, how do I compare with GP? Um, but uh, as you kind of become committed and uh, more and more people are giving more and more time and some professional people as well giving their time for free and um, to buying equipment and a whole bunch of friends who are giving up holidays and time to, to be support crew for me. Um, yeah, you suddenly realize you've got to, got to make it work. And I've got a sponsor who contributed a nice chunk of money to make sure we could do it properly and safely and allowed us to raise you know, a good chunk of money for charity. Uh, yeah. It's, you start to feel the pressure. Um, I enjoyed the process. I loved going through it. Um, but it did get to a point towards the end where I, I got uh, a level of fatigue. So much time was involved in it alongside a full-time job. But, uh, yeah, I think I, I think I worried people about four weeks before. I put out, I was, I was videoing little bits on the phone, just uh, little bits, 
myself documentary thing just to remind me after what it was like. And uh, about four weeks before I put a video out saying, pretty much saying, I've had enough of this now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this with this training anymore. It's, uh, you know, I'm not a happy bunny. And uh, yeah, I had one or two phone calls pretty quickly after that saying, you know, what can we do? Are you all right? Do you need anything else? But it's hard. It's hard. I mean, record, you know, record breaking is not easy. And it's the first time I've had this kind of glimpse of what it must be like to be a professional athlete. Um, I mean, recently I've been thinking, what's it like to, to train for the Olympics and then have it put off for a year? You know, that, so much of this is, is psychological, what's going on in your head. And uh, it, it gets really hard. Um, I set out a schedule for, for training months and months back, um, which is quite hard for something that nobody knows how to train for because there's no, <laughs> there's nobody, nobody does endurance penny farthing racing. Um, so there's nobody to coach it. So you kind of go through this process of uh, trying to adapt what the modern understanding of training is to something that, that's a little bit different. But I set up a training plan, which, which involved the whole week, every week, um, you know, long rides at weekends, training rides at week, weekday evenings, a lot of Pilates, um, some, some psychology stuff with a couple of different uh, psychologists who are working with me. Uh, so you just coming out of this treadmill and it just goes on and on and on. And as it goes on and on, it builds as well in terms of duration, distance and time involved. Um, and when you're 56, 57, <laughs> you get tired. Yeah. And, and did you do, how did you mix up the, the training, the, the kind of fitness training? Did you, I'm assuming you did a lot outdoors on the penny farthing but were you doing what were you on the turbo trainer and the evening on the road bikes at times I, you know, I stuck i stuck the penny farthing 100 okay. so no road bikes um because it's big endurance and i know people get highly fatigued I, I genuinely didn't know how much of the day each day i need to ride during this five-day period whether it would be you know 16 hours 20 hours 23 and a half hours and i get virtually no sleep and, and fatigue is really, you know, crippling. So I needed to be able to ride the bike, second nature, in my sleep. But yeah. So I thought, don't ride anything else. And I, as I said, I've got two or three penny farthings. Um, and I thought about using different wheel sizes for different bits of the event because it's kind of like having different gearing. But I thought, no, stick to one bike so you know how to get on and off it in your sleep. You can handle it in traffic. You can do anything with it. Um, so that was the bike. Um, one or two people would say, you know, you really ought to be doing sort of specific um, turbo training, what bike training over the winter and not out on the road because it's dangerous. But you've got to learn to handle a bike in every condition that, that the British roads and weather can throw at you. So I did have a walk bike that somebody lent me. It was in the garage and I did use it for some very specific sessions early on, but then just stopped around. So it's long rides at the weekend. You're actually building mileage up. Um, Couple of short rides during the week, which was sprint rides to you know build up the pace, and uh, say a couple of Pilates sessions, which were invaluable. I have a wonderful Pilates instructor down the road who I met through this process. And I'm a, I'm a wonky, you know, let's say 57 year old um, with aches and pains and what have you. And I have a bad back from time to time. And um, I'm aware that uh, if your back goes, when you're just like riding a track bike, it's it's quite a, quite a physical thing, isn't it? Um, particularly low cadence or very high cadence. Penny farthing even more so because um, trying to explain what it's like riding one. Um, the, uh, the pressure you put in through the pedals, because the pedals are on the, linked to the wheel, 
push the front wheel sideways as you power it up. So that pulls the handlebars around. So you're kind of counteracting your pedal push with your, with a hand pull every pedal stroke. And the power's kind of going through your back. So it's, it's a really kind of physical all-over workout, particularly riding up hills, you know, low cadence. Um, so it stresses your back and your shoulders and your arms and your hands as well as your legs. Um, in fact, when I started riding, uh, my arms used to get tired more quickly than my legs. You know, they, they would wear out first on a, on a, on a longest ride. Um, so I have these Pilates uh, sessions twice a week to strengthen my back and uh, my arms and my shoulders. And, um, and I'm sure without doing that twice a week for the eight or nine months, uh, something would have would have gone wrong part way through and it would have come stuck. Because it was, by the end, I was, I was pretty driven into the ground. Um, but, uh, you know, things come together. Yeah, the, other, the, the advantage that you have on a, a road bike, of course, is that you can move about on it. You can you can get out the saddle and you can yeah, change yeah. your cadence and you've just not got that because you're, you're really essentially sat in the, sa- the same position without really being able to move very much for, for as long as you're moving. It's true. Have you ever ridden one? I haven't, no. no. Uh, um, you're absolutely right. You're kind of trapped in the thing. Um, so sat on the saddle, it's, it's a very upright position, which in some ways is nice because you don't get neck ache and uh, yeah. back ache so much. Um, but at the same time, you sat on the saddle all the time in a vertical position, so the weight on your on your rear end is is quite uh, uncomfortable after after uh, a few hours. And when you get into a few days, I believe you mate, really, really yeah, is very uncomfortable. Um, and you can't put pedaling because there's no free wheel. Um, so yeah, you're right. You can't lift yourself out of the saddle at all to uh, get a bit of rest from that. The only time you can you can get rest, you can stand on the mounting pegs on the back when you're descending and uh, get a bit of uh, of course, of course, you rest that way. Um, yeah. So towards the end of the last day, I can remember quite clearly even on the flats, just getting off onto the pegs just for 10 seconds. A little bit of bike slows down, but just to just to relieve the pressure just on the ease so, off. Yeah. Ease off, of course. Yeah. yeah. Pretty around the saddle sort of by the end. Yeah. Um, but you are kind of trapped, they're very strange, you're kind of trapped into this thing. They're very economical in their design, Penny Farlings. They're very kind of raw. So and at the spine down at the back wheel, you kind of climb up past it to get on. So there's not a lot of room for, for anything extra on that. It's, 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 it does the job and that's it. Um, and then when you sit on the saddle, you're right above the, the driving point of the wheel and your knees are in front through the handlebars. So there's no space for anything superfluous there. It's just bars, forks, wheel, and that's it. Um, so it's quite difficult to work out, you know, to start with where you put a, a water bottle or a Garmin where you can see it effectively. Or lights, you know, and I wanted lots of lights. Uh, some of the roads that you ride on, like day 30, Devon and Cornwall, as I was saying, they're, they're pretty dangerous for, uh, for a normal bike, let alone something that's crawling up hills at six miles an hour, you know, that uh, really shouldn't be there. So I wanted lots of lights in it. So it, it took a while to figure out where to, where to put kit on the bike uh, to be able to use it properly. Um, and because they're, they're solid tyres, there's a lot of vibration as well. So things tend to fail that aren't. Uh, designed for that sort of abuse. Um, yeah. So I got through quite a bit of kit testing things out uh, early doors. Um, but once I got it sorted, the thing was a, was a lovely bike to ride. It started off as a stock um, modern production penny farthing from a company up in, uh, up in Sunderland. Um, it was one I was partly involved in designing years back. 
Um, but it was just a standard bike out of the box, um, sort of totally transformed it over eight months of, of trying stuff out, trying ideas and experimenting. Um, yeah, it's a nice thing to ride, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you got the, the perfect the, the perfect steed for your uh, yeah, for your yeah. for your adventure. I was, I was taking it out on on um, club runs with the club training. Um, they were my, my local club were, were really welcoming. I was riding them. local guys on road bikes, um, which is great fun. And doing all axes and gradually pushing up the distance up to uh, 300k old axes, um, which was nice. The old axe world for people that don't know about old axing is it, kind of like uh, the, the original sports eve riding, um, so it's a preset route. Um, and because they've been developed for so many years, they have some fantastic routes all over the country, and you all set off from a village hall or something early doors in the morning with a pre planned route, um, and that's it. There's no food stops organised normally until the end. You find your own cafes. You've got to pick up one or two clues on route. It's a bit like a treasure hunt, just before yeah. you, you were there. Uh, and that's it. They just leave you go. And there are a great bunch of guys and gals that go and do this, and they're very supportive. Uh, and the nice thing is you can rock up on, on any bike. Yeah. There's, there's no rules or regs for that and no uh, no frowning. It's, it's all good. If it's on <laughs> no, no UCI rules. Um, no, no You can do your super tuck. Um, I did come a bit unstuck because I used time trialing as training over the three or four years before this. And uh, the, uh, the, the uh, National Committee for Time Trialing, when I, when I applied to enter the National 24 Hour Time Trial on the Petty, because I wanted to, uh, and the organizer sent my request up to the top end straight away, I, I got a big wrist slap. They were horrified. <laughs> they told me I was a very naughty boy until I contested it. And uh, after a bit of. Um, a bit of debating and a, and a bit of letter writing from one or two other people and there they conceded in the end that it was a you know, complied with their regs and uh, didn't break down Sean so in the end they, they backed down on that one they do love a good rule don't they yeah yeah they do, these, they do. These, uh, yeah yeah lots of really good stuff but yeah they love they love the rule book um it's the same it's the same in, in back in the day when i ran as well the athletics um officials Loved a good disqualification when the when the chance uh, when the chance came up. Um, I, I can I can understand why because yeah, yeah. make it a level playing field. People you know, you know avoid um, cheating and inverted commas all you know. Yeah. Game, but there you go. So, well, you 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 obviously you obviously did it. Took you four four and a half days. Um, mm -hmm. There must have been some amazing highs. But also some pretty deep lows when you did it. So, what, 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 was, what were the highs? What, what were the really, really the memorable moments for you? First mile was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it wasn't a lie. The, the, the first moments were brilliant. Um, I mean, the build of this, as I say, took, took months and months and months. And, it, and in reality, actually, years. Um, but from the point of committing to this, it took, it took nearly a year. Um, and by the time, we got to the point of starting on that uh, that's that famous signpost in Cornwall. I was completely exhausted. Um, I was watching video recently the night before. I never I never felt so tired trying to do a full time job on this, and I really was shattered. Um, so we got to start, and uh, and I got on the bike, and all of a sudden there's times and all the pressure. You start. It's like you go to a, a bike race, um, and if you don't, if, if folks that haven't raced before. The feeling of pressure of standing on the line and, and suddenly shouts go is, is quite huge at times. But as soon as you start riding, that's what you love doing. Riding a bike is, you know, that's why we do it, isn't it? So I kind of rolling up the line, the sun was just coming over the horizon. 
the whole of the UK stretched out in front of me. And I was going to get to go and ride it. So it's just a, just a fabulous release. So much so that about a mile up the road, I was in I was actually in tears. Um, I just got a little 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 mental mental breakdown for a moment. Just um, yeah, a kind of huge release of actually yeah getting going with this thing. Um, and after that, I just settled into enjoying it. And um, first day was a biggie, uh, two hundred miles. Uh, and I don't actually know anybody else that's done two hundred mile rides on a penny farthing in the day. Um, the the kind of the big goal on the penny farthing is is a century ride, hundred miles, and that always that's always been the case. You go out and do a, a hundred mile ride, you, you've made it on a penny farthing, and uh, that's a tough day out for most people. So to push up to two hundred miles a day, which I was doing in training before before we actually set off, it's huge, and it's it's I, I never went more than one go at two hundred miles, and then I have a recovery period, never try anymore. So we're really into new territory here. I have no idea what it's going to do to me. And it, and it does break your body down. You don't have time to recover. So the first day, 200 miles through Cornwall, Devon, up to Bristol, was uh, was a great ride. You know, really quite satisfying at the end. Um, and the next day up through the West Midlands, 175 miles. All going to plan. It, it was lovely. Um, and by the middle of the third day, Start the third day, I was sort of thinking, well, this is supposed to be hard work. This is this is going quite well. It just it suddenly hit me like a ton of bricks halfway through the third day. You know, it's uh, that breaking down process of your body and uh, and your thought processes and uh, you, your mental energy levels. It just suddenly all went. Um, and I can remember it quite clearly. Uh, we did we did quite a lot of um, psychological training with uh, a chap from Derby University, Phil Clark, um, Dr. Phil Clark. Uh, he was training with me quite early on, and then I got help from uh, a chap called Tim Buckle, who works for Professor Steve Peters. Uh, I don't know if you know of Jim Management. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They worked with um, British cycling riders uh, quite a lot. Uh, and I knew Tim from coaching youth cyclists uh, years ago. And uh, so he came on board, and he did a lot of work with me, trying to sort out what I would do when things went wrong. So we analysed all the things that could go wrong and how I would respond to them under extreme pressure, you know, uh, tiredness and um, anxiety. Um, and it worked, but I can remember these moments when things were going wrong and thinking, yeah, we've we, we planned for this. This is what this is what I've told my chimp is going to do when it gets angry. Um, but but as importantly, we worked with the sporker as well. Because I've got a bunch of friends out with me on the road who were also going through this very exhausting, very stressful, high-pressure situation looking after me. Um, and they're not professionals and they've not done this before um, and they're going to get tired so so I went through the same process with them of sorting out what things would go wrong how they would communicate with each other to let them know things were going wrong without falling out and chatting to each other and how you resolve it um, but I think it worked so well um, so yeah I, I, I went through this breakdown process um, gradually be able to do less and less and be able to think about less and less um, but knowing that I was, I was being looked up and doing the right thing. So, what what were the the mental tricks that you that you applied to get you through those? Because there's all sorts of different techniques you can apply. But what what, what were the what was the one? What were the ones that really worked for you? Well, I would say the biggest one was this thing to do with chimp management, where um, there were different parts of your brain that talk to each other. There's the, the kind of fight and flight emotional response thing. And that's a chimp in your brain where something's going wrong, it will just be out of the cage and shouting at people and ranting at it. And then there's a kind of 
the the rational processing part of your brain, which does the logic side of things, but it's slower and takes longer. So if you attempt out occasion younger people before you thought this thing through, then you know it can do so much damage. And I've and I've seen and heard of stories of, of endurance racing where things go wrong in, in events like the race across America and the mind doing it and this this crew chief just walking off halfway across America because they had a big fallout. These things happen. So so that was invaluable. And I can think of occasions during the event when when that process kicked in. Um, and I could be logical about things because I told the chimp what was going to happen. You know, like saddle saws, I did get some horrendous saddle saws. Um, and it gets to the point where you can just decide you've had enough and you want to stop. And you're off. And, I've, and it's happened to me before with, with events where you just pack in and afterwards you think, why on earth did I do that? So I told the chimp, yeah, you're going to get saddle sores. It's going to hurt a lot, but it's not going to kill you. Get used to it, you know. Is that okay? Jim said yes. So, so you're armed then. And then when it happens, and it did, um, I'm in agreement with the chimp, but you know, we're going to get on with it, but despite the pain, and, uh, and you just do it. Um, well, that was fantastic. Uh, the other thing I did that probably made a big difference was um, getting a good playlist. My wife would laugh at that because I did a marathon once without too much training, but I, I spent a lot of time on the playlist. Um, <laughs> and music is quite magical. But I got a, uh, some lovely uh, bone conduction headphones that, that sit just in front of your ears and the press on the bones um, outside your ears. And uh, they kind of transmit the sound through into your skull. So it's like the music's in your head, um, but your ears aren't plugged up so you can you can hear traffic around you, you can talk to people, and you. but there's music in your head. So, um, I had a great playlist that uh, I've been working on <laughs> and using for training throughout the year. Um, and I talked to people about this. Um, there's a chap called Lee Timmons who's by local. He did um, the, the, the record Trans Europe um, West East. He holds the record, Guinness record for that. And he, he had several playlists. He had upbeat playlists and relaxed playlists and playlists. Of the, okay. And I tried that and it just didn't work for me. What I had was a was a completely mixed up, smashed together playlist. So every track was a completely different vibe, you know, because it's easy to just drift off after hours on the bike. Um, and this just kind of kept me sparked up because each different track was a different move and it kind of, it just wakes you up all the time. It keeps you, uh, keeps you kind of in the moment rather than, because um, it's easy to, is it, when you get really tired, it's easy to just kind of drift off um, yeah. and lose focus on what you're doing. So what was the what was your favourite track in your playlist? If you're willing to share, that is. <laughs> oh, I wish. Ask me that again in a few minutes. I'll think. Um, what was the favourite track? Um, the band called the Cat Empire, which I quite like. Look up the Cat Empire. There's some pretty lively stuff there. Um, I'll say no more. If you're interested, okay. um, yeah. But it's just just totally totally varied smash up. Classical folk music, um, Bernard Cribbins, heavy metal. <laughs> it's all on there. Bernard Cribbins to um, heavy metal, that's a good, yeah, <laughs> good, 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 good transition. Yeah. It's, a, it's a rare old mix. But it just, just kept me kept me focused. Um, I know from time trialling, you're doing long time trials, and you're not allowed to use headphones in time yeah. trialling. Um, it's very good to get, uh, as I say, just into this kind of zoned out, oh, what am I having for tea? Oh, I was supposed to be racing. You just kind of drift off from it. It's, it's, it's gone really you've got, to, you've got to stay focused on it so you've been racing riding through the length of the country yeah you've got to stay focused you've got to stay yeah. and, and awake all the time 
Um, because these things ride a bit differently than normal bikes, uh, the braking is pretty lousy. Um, although once you get the techniques, they're, they're, they're quite doable, but it's, you've got to be ready for anything happening on the road in front of you. You've got to look quite a long way ahead on the road and be ready to, you know, take route B or route C. You tend to have like three options all the time of where to go if things go wrong. Um, but if you go to sleep and you're not focused, um, riding some of the busiest roads in the country and through through busy town centres and traffic and trying to get through fast. Um, you know, one, one false move, you know, into the side of a van or over a bonnet or something. And uh, from the height, of, with the penny farthing, which is that on the wheel, if it goes wrong, you go head first over the front. Yeah. So very typical injuries will be broken wrists, broken elbows, broken collarbone, potentially broken neck or broken back. And it's back in the heyday. You know, they were killing a lot of people. Um, the safety bike came along and was called that for a, for, a, good for a reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's why they, they weren't around as a, as a state guard machine for that long because they were so dangerous to ride. Yeah. So you 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 made it today to John O'Groats um, mm. in four and a half days, four four days, twelve hours, as, as we said at, at the beginning, and I'm 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 guessing it was a mixture of relief and triumph almost when you when you when you got to the line but i i've read that it's 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 more the when you wake up the next day that the realization really hits and was that the same for you did you was it, was it, it was, a little bit was, afterwards yeah. yeah yeah it's um it was not feeling at the end um you you, you watch people doing some sorts of races and you, you know that kind of Pumping, just pumping the air over the, over the finish line and what have you, and that, that total elation, particularly sprint races or races when you're racing against other people. And it's like, yes, I won. Damn, I won. But it wasn't that at all. And I was so exhausted um, that I didn't have a fist pump in me anyway. I, was, <laughs> I just wanted to lie down on the grass and, and stare at the sky. You know, I really was. So I was seeing double and uh, no energy at all. Um, so there was no no kind of celebration in me at all. Uh, there was a, there was quite a gang of people there waiting for me to finish. So uh, I tried my best to appear triumphant. Um, but I've had this before once an event where I spent a long time planning for it and preparing for it um, on my own, and it went to plan. And I got to the end, not thinking, yes, I've done that. Just thinking, yeah, that worked. Everything worked. And it was the same with this. We spent so long planning. And nothing went horrendously wrong. You know, everything went to plan, and, and you know, we ticked the boxes, and the schedule would set out worked brilliantly. And all the advice from all people worked fantastically well. So I got to the end, and it was more a case of, yeah, tick, done. It wasn't a kind of, so as you say, yeah, the next day was a slightly different feeling. Yeah, it. Um, I was having a conversation with. Um, he was the president for the club that GP Mills rode for back in the day. Um, and uh, he said that that record that he set, they they always talked of as the unbreakable record, and that's how it was known until <laughs> twenty nineteen when I broke. It. And they genuinely thought nobody nobody can break this record; it's totally unbreakable. So yeah, the next day when I uh, I got up and sat sat on my own and think about it, everybody else in the crew went off for a bike ride and had some time on my own to start to sink in. But the odd thing was because we were so well organised with timings and and uh, was. My brain was used to getting up every morning at five o'clock and out of the van door at quarter past five and breakfast down my neck and onto bikes that uh, the day after we finished, I was up at five, out of the door at quarter past five. <laughs> 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 I to get on the bike and the crew were nowhere. They were all, you know, they were all shattered as well. So uh, 
yes, I went and had a little walk down down the edge of the sea and watched the sun come up. And uh, yeah, I had a, had a few moments thinking about it. Mm. And it was a bit like the start moment went up, and it was, uh, got quite emotional. That was quite an emotional moment as well. Yeah, I like that that notion of just job well done. <laughs> The, the, yeah, you know, the plans. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it, well, it was involved. I say the crew who aren't professionals have done nothing like this before. We were very hard uh, to get ready for it in terms of training sessions, and uh, even you know driving out on the road for a couple of days. And, and, uh, uh, and come the event, yeah, they, they pulled all the stops out. Did a fantastic job. So it really was, yeah, big tick at the end. Yeah. So, what's the next challenge? <laughs> or have you retired from such adventures? You know, I tried not to think of the challenges for a while. The, the one that I did want to do, and I mentioned it earlier, was 24 hour on a penny parling. Mm. GP Mills did dozens of these things. He did a lot of 24 hour racing. And there's only one event in the country now, which he would have ridden back in the day. Um, so I would like to have tried that to compare myself again with him, but the organiser won't let me, despite the, the, the organising committee saying, yes, you can do it technically. It's down to him. He thinks it's not safe on the roads there. So fair enough. So I can't do that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just I just hit this big wall of um, depression, for want of a better word, afterwards, which which took me really by surprise. Um, I've talked to other endurance athletes since. Quite a lot of people. Lee Timmons, who did the, the Trans Europe, uh, Mark Belmont, um, lots of other people have done done big stuff, and it seems to be. And not very widely spoken about kind of phenomenon that you, you do, you know, you take on a, a big physical and mental challenge, really big. And then you just kind of, uh, yeah, go into a slump of depression afterwards. And, and I had no idea this was happening to me. Um, I actually resigned from my job, <laughs> um, which I later retracted. Um, but my wife just said to me one day, you know, you're depressed. And I was just kind of doing nothing at all and feeling nervous about everything. And it took a while to, to get past that one but uh, I, th- I think I think yeah, physical and mental exhaustion have a lot to do with it just took a while to get going yeah um, but I don't have any other big challenges now um, it did do quite a lot of physical damage um, so uh, my knees are a bit creaky these days uh, and I've got a bit of nerve damage in my feet I had nerve damage in my hands afterwards which which I was expecting from other long distance racing that went away um, but uh, yeah my knees are great and I, I want to be able to keep riding and, and enjoying Know, club riding and uh, social riding with family and what have you. So, uh, yeah, one or two things have, have come to my mind, but I'm, but I'm trying not to do them because, uh, uh, you know, heading on towards 60, there's only so much, <laughs> only so much that your body can take in an endurance sense. Yeah, that's true. Although, I, one thing that I do detect from ultra endurance riders is that one challenge is not usually enough. <laughs> There's, there'll probably be another one down the line. Maybe, maybe you just have longer gaps between them than, than some of the other ones. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Richard. Thank you so much for 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 joining us on the on on the podcast. It's it's an incredible achievement and and just fantastic to get your your insights and just for you to share your experiences. So, oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting thank you. me. I'll just say that <laughs> if anybody out there is, is feeling slightly curious now about having a go on a funny farming and wants to kind of experience it, do it. If you get a chance, um, most paddy farming riders that I know are really keen to kind of share because they all love it. 
and they're really keen to share it with other people. And generally, we'll, we'll jump at the chance of, of teaching somebody off to ride. Um, there's a Facebook group called the League of Ordinary Riders, um, which discusses all things penny farthing and shares events and what have you. So if you're really curious, if you go on there, you'll probably find there's something not that far away from you with one who will, you know, be more than happy to share it with you. Yeah, th- thanks for that. I have I have seen up in Adel- uh, as regular listeners will know, I live down in Kent and southeast England, and I do see people out on a, on penny farthings very occasionally, but maybe a once a once a year or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, but the Heron Hill Velodrome, which which I've mentioned before in the podcast, and um, they they they're quite adventurous in terms of their 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 cycling events that they put on. So yeah. there's maybe, maybe a 24-hour um, penny farthing event at, at Herne Hill. That would be that that would be quite intense in terms of the number of laps you'd have to do. But <laughs> but would be um, yeah that, that I, I would go and watch that at least watch some of it. I think. You know, you don't have to watch it. You want to be on it. You want to be well, on there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helping out. I'll help out. I'll help out. Okay, Richard, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks to all the listeners for, for joining us. Thank you.